then in northern Arkansas, we have hardwood forests. And, and hardwood forests, you don't know what you've got when you've got that. There's just a myriad of species in our hardwood forests. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam M. Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. I have with me today Peggy Clark, who is owner and manager of Clark Timberlands, and she took over the business in 1987 from her father. And Peggy is being inducted into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame in February um, in Little Rock. And so, Peggy, congratulations on being inducted into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame. Well, I, I, I thank you very much. I, I'm just astounded with, with this award. I, I can't think of anything anything bigger or anything I would be more pleased to uh, to receive as, as unworthy as I feel. Uh, I, I'm very excited about it. Well, you're very humble. Um, <laughs> I know that when you uh, took over uh, running uh, Clark Timberlands in 1987, you then um, grew the business to encompass timberland in eight south central Arkansas counties. You also have a, had a livestock or have a livestock auction and a working farm and cattle ranch. Um, would you mind just spending a few minutes talking about? My father died just unexpectedly uh, September 27th in 1987. And at that time, we had timber holdings that we had had for, uh, well, my, my, nep my nephew is, is now running the day-to-day -day operation, and that's, he's down to the fifth generation. We were in the eight counties. Uh, perhaps what I may have done is uh, improve the, uh, the the growth rate on that, that timberland that we have and, and uh, gotten the yield up maybe a little bit higher than it had been before and maybe moved us a little bit more into a, a little bit different philosophy of timber management but no i can't take credit for growing it uh uh it was it's pretty much the same same asset that uh, we had uh my grandfather built a cattle auction there uh he he enjoyed the cattle business and he had as many as 400 head at one time and built a cattle auction across the highway in fact he figured out a way to walk the cows down and under a bridge and up and around the other side so they could walk to the uh to the sale rather than being transported and they they didn't lose a lot of weight by being upset and uh, everybody said that was a fairly smart thing to do to put the cattle auction across the highway from your from your holdings yeah. but that that business had begun to to shrink and uh, uh yes we did still own a cattle auction but i was not running it we were leasing it to people and uh I don't know anything about the cattle business, and I sold that herd where it stood when my father died. I knew a little bit about the timber business, but uh, uh, that's never been a big part of mine. But yes, that was part of the family holdings, and I did do it for a while, but uh, but we sort of consolidated down to the timber business. Well, uh, tell us, you know, most of the listeners won't know anything about the timber business. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, sure. Uh, well, I'll tell you the little bit that I know. Um, that is a very forgiving business. Those forests are pretty fabulous things. Uh, there are lots of different ways that you can manage a, a forest and, and make a good living 
from it. There, there are different ways to harvest. There's a single tree selection. A fella goes in with a paint gun and picks out the poor material that there, that's there, the crooked trees, the bent trees, the, the ones that may get hit by lightning. And he has an eye to pleasing the people who own the land and get the poor genetic material out. But he's got to please that person he's selling that land to. Each tree he squirts with a with the paint gun is the one they'll take out. He's got to please that logger and put enough good, straight, tall, mini-logged trees in there to make it worth his while to come get it. So it's a bit of a balance for the guy marking the timber. And you'll probably go in maybe every seven or eight years and mark a, a, a enough trees, maybe 1,500 feet, 2,000 feet to the acre, and, and uh, they'll come in and get it out. Or uh, you can do shelter wood cuts, which leave a lot of material on the, the top canopy. Oh, you take everything out except maybe oh, 18 trees that are still there and they reseed the track for you. So you don't have to replant, but you take everything out underneath it. And then you try to go in and get the canopy off. There are clear cuts. And that way you go in when a forest is mature, you can take all the, the trees out and replant, put improved genetic material in there and uh, harvest that way. So there, there are lots of different ways that you can, can, can do it. And we do a little bit of all of it. So, uh, what do for the labor to take care of it? Do you outsource it or do you hire people uh, full time? How does that work? Now, it used to be that the timber companies, the sawmills would have their their crews and uh, they often would come to you and the, the man that owned the sawmill and, and negotiate with you for a track of timber. And then he'd send his folks in there to to harvest it. And you just sort of watched how they did it to make sure they didn't tear up your, your land and rut it up or log it when it was too wet. And, and you were in there trying to take care of the land and they're trying to get out as fast as they can to uh, get onto the next track. And now uh, the, the loggers are the ones primarily out buying the timberland. Uh, when 2008 came along, we lost almost 70% of the uh, logger, loggers in this country. They just couldn't survive without being highly mechanized. And uh, what you have now are uh, loggers who come in who are very sophisticated and they are, they can move the timber. They've got these machines that crawl in there on their little bulldozer feet and they grab that tree and hold it and slice it off at the bottom and lift it over the top of the head of the uh, machine and go over and lay it down just beautifully on a pile of logs. And, uh, they, they can really move the timber now, um, but we, we, we negotiate primarily with, with loggers now. How do you negotiate with um, the loggers? It used to be, there are three pieces to the, the price of the timber. There's, there's the, uh, what they call stumpage, and that's how much the landowner is going to get for the wood, and that's one price that's in it. Then the logger, always wanted they had a certain amount of money that they wanted per ton uh for 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 their labor those two prices would would be what the uh, mill paid you and that was if someone just brought up a load to the mill they would that would be called gatewood and that would be a combined price so you 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 negotiate with the logger on how far he's got to go to take it to the mill to get a price, it used to be about 70 miles was as far as anybody would go. In the good days before 2008, the Great Recession, uh, they were beginning to haul logs from Oklahoma to some of our mills. 
So that 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 has kind of changed. And then you negotiate with this mill. How much will they pay you? How much will this mill pay for you? But they and you go where the best price was. But the trick to it, Matt, is to do what they call merchandising on the site. And that's where if you got a good logger, he'll put the hardwood logs over here in this pile and take them to the hardwood mill that'll give you the best price. And he'll put the big pine logs in a pile and take them to the mill that'll give you the biggest price for a big pine log. And then he'll take those medium-sized logs over to another mill that specializes in products that are made from medium-sized logs. And then the little bitty stuff they take to the people that make paper out of it. And they figure all this out and we negotiate a, a, a a price there. So it's a little more sophisticated than when we were hauling it out with mules. Are there, when you, when you're dealing with uh, loggers, are there multiple loggers coming to you wanting to work or um, is it just one that you work with every year? Well, you know, there used to be a lot of loggers uh, that would come to us and now there really are not. There, there are a few big companies around our area big uh, people that had the big equipment. And for the last four or five years, we we have dealt with one logger and we sit down with him uh, two or three times through the year and, and review where we are and see if we need to adjust the price up or down. But we're very aware of what the mills are paying and, and you just need to kind of check on things. You don't, you don't need to do this from afar. How do you um, ensure that the logger that you uh, negotiate with complies with you know government regulations and so forth i don't know that there are too many really severe government regulations what we have in arkansas are called vmps and they're called best management practices and there are things that that, that industry and environmentalists have gotten together and agreed upon are, are good for logging in our our area and uh it has to do with stream size management. You don't want to cut all the trees right up to the edge of a stream. And we have thousands of streams in Arkansas. And some of them don't run all the year long. But you don't want to cut all the trees right up to that. So we back off X number of feet, depending kind of on the size of the stream and the steepness of the bank. And you leave that material there to, to prevent erosion. And there are certain days you don't burn on to because of air quality. And you, you, we have some some uh, sustainability. Uh, well, that's a whole big issue. It's a different thing. That sort of a blockchain on sustainability issues, and all of these are regulated through the uh, Forestry Commission, and they'll come out and audit your logging jobs to make sure you're not uh, breaking any of the rules. And I'm happy to say we have always passed with flying colors. Well, that's great. Now, I would imagine do you do you come up with a a plan way beforehand or is that part of the negotiation for the a harvest plan well my daddy always said peggy you can you can make a plan for this forestry stuff i was always after him let's get a plan let's sit down what we're going to do this year let's plan this all out and get organized here and he'd say yeah we can we can do that if you want to but i've never had one that's worked out yet because a disease will get in a pine beetle will get in and you got to hop when that happens because those will spread through your tracks and and completely eat them up. The southern pine beetle is one of the worst ones we have. Or you have a big storm and it blows down timber and you were just going fine on another track that needed to be harvested, but now all this timber's down on the ground. And you can get it up if it's not a twisting wind. If it just it's a flat wind that comes through and just lays it down, the loggers they don't it's a it's a hard logging job, but they can get in there and get that up while it's still good material. And but you got to get on it. And uh 
so you pull off of everything you're doing and scramble around trying to get to the, uh, you know, the blown down timber and that messes your plan up. But yes, we have had plan ever since I've been running this, this, uh, and we've, we've actually completed one or two of them and we're constantly shuffling and adjusting and, and we try to accommodate the loggers too. If it gets wet where they are, we try to find another place so they can keep on working. A lot of times if you lose them, you can't get them back. And right. then, you start running out and we got to deal with hunters. The hunting season is not a good time to be in the woods and, and you can wear all the orange you want, but you need to pull out when that, that happens and let the hunters have those woods for a few weeks. And then you can, can resume. We have a plan, but it just, we, we have to be a, we have to be a little bit nimble. Do you um, make leases with hunters? We do. We do. And that was, gosh, I've been at this so long. I've seen that completely turn around. Uh, the hunters in this state were just anathema. They did not want leases. They did not want anybody putting up gates and they wanted the free run in the woods and they wanted to hunt where they wanted to hunt. And, and they would run off other groups and they'd get into fusses out there. And eventually one group would get the land and, and the landowner didn't have much say so about who was out there. But industry started leasing maybe, I don't know, maybe 25 years ago. And it really, the hunters love it now and everyone accepts it. It's created some order out there. Everybody knows who has what. And it's, uh, they understand we've got to get in there and make a living and, and we're going to take a track down every now and then. And I, I believe, I never did that piece of it. My nephew is very interested in hunting and, and he and our forester take care of that leasing. Uh, I don't understand hunters. I don't understand how that can be fun, but <laughs> it is. And uh, to a lot of folks. And uh, I think there are over 100,000 hunters in our, our woods during deer season. And it's it's a pretty noisy place. Wow. Over 100,000? Oh, easily. Yes, sir. How about fishing on the property? You know, uh, we don't lease fishing rights. Um, there's another group I'm with. It's the Ross Foundation. And they have 64,000 acres of timberland uh and that I'm a trustee of that on some old family lands too. And, and uh, we will lease uh, fishing rights to go with a uh, hunting on, on there, but no, people are welcome to just come and fish when they choose. We're happy to have them. And there isn't this uh, territorial stuff that occurs with the, with the deer hunters. How about uh, fire management? Fire management has changed in Arkansas. Uh, fire management is, is under the control of the Arkansas forestry commission. And uh, they have the right to go through a fence or onto someone's property to fight a fire, which no one else has. But uh, for a long, long time, the larger timber companies in Arkansas, International Paper, Georgia Pacific, uh, Potlatch, Willamette, Deltic, they maintained firefighting equipment sort of in the general area where their property was. But when there was a fire anywhere close to them, they took their equipment over and they would fight fire on other people's land two and the forestry commission they had equipment but but they their equipment became very very out of date and um they serve primarily as the fire boss we have excellent excellent training in firefighters in arkansas they are the first ones that get called out to all these california fires and they're the fire bosses out there and they run the show they run the shows pretty much wherever they go and we really have a group of uh, firefighters in Arkansas to be proud of, but we haven't had the equipment. And about 20 years ago, I was on a I was on the commission at that time, and four or five of us just said we've got to start buying equipment, even if it 
it means we're going to have to cut the number of positions that we've got. And, and I, I think I chaired that committee. I know there were four other commissioners with me and, and we spent months going through and interviewing the departments to make a, a, a huge cut. I think we cut maybe 50 positions at the Forestry Commission in order to free up some funds to start buying new equipment. And we also have a state forest at Poison Springs, which does a timber cut every year. And the timber price went up right when we were trying to do this, maybe like double what we had been getting. And that, the timber price and the, the uh, savings with re reorganizing the whole staff, uh, allowed us to start really buying t buying equipment. When I when I got on the Forestry Commission, the youngest uh, the youngest uh, piece of equipment we had was 20 years old. The time I left, I think we were down to the oldest piece of equipment we had was about 12 years. I kind of think it was 10, but we did a complete turnaround of the equipment, and the the commission now has equipment that can actually be effective. But the greatest thing that they do is detection, and we have gone from the tower system to airplanes that has changed things i was going to say it's changed the size of the the forest fires they're a little bit bigger but they're fewer of them and i'm not sure that's true i haven't seen that data in probably 10 years did you expect to be in uh the timber business for your for your uh career or <laughs> no young? <laughs> no let me tell you this timber business chose me i did not choose it <laughs> I, I don't know what I, it's sort of like a lot of the dogs we have, you know, they, they choose us. Uh, no, I, I really never dreamt. I would, I would, I was going to be a history teacher. I have a history degree from Fayetteville. Um, and then I'd say, well, maybe I didn't want to do that. And I went to Houston and was with some, some of my friends from college and, and worked at the Texas Heart Institute down there for a while. And then I tried to sell real estate, but I don't have a very good sense of direction. And you just need that if you're going to, I couldn't find the houses. I decided since there wasn't anything that caught my eye that I really wanted to do, I'd just go back home for a while and see, see about this family business we had. We had and uh, I really I really liked it and felt like it might be something that I might be able to do. And uh, I didn't think I would be doing it nearly as soon as I did. My father was only 65 when he died. But like I said, it, it chose me. And uh, it, it has been great. This, this, this tract has really taken care of us uh, for very well for four or five generations. And I, I really like these forests. I, 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 the more I get to know about our our forests, the, the more I realize how important they really are. They really help so much with uh, air quality and water quality, and they support wildlife and all manner of vegetations. And they're a pretty big piece of, of, in, of solving this environmental problem that we've got. That's interesting. Um, so how would you say tem the timber business is going to change over the next few decades in the United States? I think the timber industry, if, if looking at the past few years, they're going to get more and more efficient at getting this wood out of these forests. And they're getting more and more efficient at growing timber. The, the genetic material is, uh, is really improving. Uh, faster than I thought it ever would. We used to talk about, you know, 45, 55 years to grow a saw log. 
some industry, I just find this hard to believe, but they think they can get a saw log grown up in 25 years, uh, which is just, you know, cutting in half what I what I started hearing about when I began this business. But Amazing. what I think is important is if people understand this carbon, I guess carbon cycle is maybe the word you use yeah. about, about how these young forests, when you find all these little seedlings out there, they really, really suck in the carbon dioxide for a number of years. And and these these young forests that are vigorous and healthy and growing, they just cannot pull in more carbon dioxide. And, and that tree grows up into a, a log. And if you go in and cut that log down and make something out of it, some type of wood product, all that carbon in that tree is captured. And they came up with this term that just sounds awful, carbon sequestration. Uh, that carbon gets sequestrated into that wood product. And it will stay in that wood product as long as that wood product's there, like a chair or a table or something. And those, you know, last forever. Now, if you let that tree just grow, it starts reaching the cycle and it no longer is pulling in the carbon dioxide. It begins putting it back out again as the tree begins to deteriorate. So the forest industry is growing all these trees up, cutting them down, catching that that carbon and banking them into wood products. Well, that's out of that's out of the atmosphere forever where if you let the tree fall over and die and deteriorate, you come back to a zero carbon sequestration. It all comes back out again. The foreign forests, the, the, the forests in South America and everything where they're just cutting and moving on is, is where we're losing ground. I didn't know that about the, the cycle. That's very interesting. What type of woods do you have? We have... In Arkansas, we have what they call an oak hickory climax forest, and that means that if nothing is put in there, uh, if man doesn't go in there, if fire doesn't get in there, if nothing goes in there, the oaks and the hickories will eventually choke out every other tree that's that's around. And so all these pine forests, they're sort of kept in there uh by the fact that we get in and we burn tracks and we 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 take equipment in and, and open them up and get sunlight in there and you allow the 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 pine to to flourish but we have we have pine forests and we have hardwood forests and the the pine is primarily loblolly pine up say as far as hot springs then you get into another species that's called a shortleaf pine it's a little hardier, it's a little more slow growing, and it, it doesn't need quite as much as we do in down in what we call the coastal plain of Arkansas. Then in northern Arkansas, we have hardwood forests. And, and hardwood forests, you don't know what you've got when you've got that. There's just a myriad of species in our hardwood forests. And, uh, the, uh, and they're much more slow, slow growing. Uh, but, but we have a variety in Arkansas, depending on your geography. And... What about um, pests eating your trees? Oh, they're getting worse and worse. We're getting more exotics coming in, and that's because we're in a global economy now, and they're just, you cannot keep the foreign bugs out. And uh, in fact, we had the emerald ash borer that just took out all the ash up in the northern Arkansas forest. I mean, it just devastated uh, up there. We have the the what is that thing called the tip moth beetle that gets in young young pine trees and it messes up the top of the tree and it won't ever form a good tree if you if it gets in there and we have to watch when we plant because if you plant 
at the wrong time, you encourage that beetle to get into new little new new tracks, and then you have to start over again with them. There's a thing called an Ips beetle, and it it'll just att- attack a tree here, and then maybe over a couple acres over, it'll get another tree and get another one, and and uh, that's possibly the most destructive, though it doesn't look it financially because it doesn't get enough trees that you can send a logger in to get them. In a, with the southern pine beetle that you hear about, they'll get 40s and 80s, and they've taken out just huge forests in Texas, just, just you know, hundreds of thousands of acres. And if you get in front of them and start cutting back toward them, you can stop it. And then if you get in quickly enough, even though the beetle killed it, you can use the timber. Ips, you, you just lose those big trees here and there all over your place and you it didn't very noticeable but if you add them all up it's a it's a big loss so yeah we have lots of predators we're dealing with and uh, please forgive me for some of these questions because i know nothing about the timber business um but are weeds a problem uh when you if you are if what if the management style you're using is to go in and and take when a forest reaches at maturity take the entire forest down and and plant little seedlings all over the grass and the the faster growing trees get up ahead of it uh for two or three years and they'll choke out your little pine seedlings uh in a lot of cases it depends on what kind of vegetation emergence you get but yes the grass can choke out the things the little seedlings and uh at a certain age, you'll you need to go in and and do a, a, a spray to kill all the vegetation and allow the pine to get ahead of, of that ground cover, and uh, then then they'll go along pretty well. You've learned a lot about you know a lot about uh, timberlands uh, and the timber business in general. Did you did you learn it growing up, or did you? Learn most of it after you started having to run the business. I have two sisters and then my mother and my father. And sitting around our table, my poor father never got the floor to tell us anything. I didn't really know what the poor man did uh, from, <laughs> because he never got a chance to talk. That's not, that's not a too big of an exaggeration. No, my daddy did not talk shop with his daughters. Uh, when I came back, uh, that was the most valuable time I spent was uh, uh, spending time with him. And, and at the end of every day, we'd kind of go our different ways there after a while. And I would show up at the house and we'd sit on the porch and swing. And he would explain so, so many things, uh, not not only the practicalities and, and, and all, but the, but the philosophy behind what we did and why we did it and where the important pieces were and what could get you in trouble and what would be okay. And uh, I, I remember when he died uh, and he had not been sick at all. He just had a heart attack one day. And I think he was gone within an hour of its onset. And I, I remember thinking at that time, oh, my stars, what did we not get to? You know, what black beast is around the next corner that I'm not going to know how to handle because we never talked about it. You know, that's, that's, you know, where, where is the thing that's going to get me? And I'm, I'm still looking for that black beast. Uh, he covered the subjects pretty well so far. Peggy, I've heard about this concept of cross laminated timber and we built a dorm with it on campus. 
uh, Dohi Hall. And I'm, I'm wondering, will that have any impact on your industry? I'm really pretty excited about the, the little that I know about that, uh, that it, it very well may in, indeed, what, what cross-laminated timber is, it, it, simply put, is they line up two by fours in a, in a lay them down and glue them together. And then they get another row of two by fours and they turn them 180 degrees to the first ones and put them on top of them and glue them together. And then they go back to the direction that they, they were sort of, you know, like building little log, little log cabins. And they keep switching these two by fours back and forth and they can make these things as long as the two by fours are. And they can make them as tall as, as they want. And these can replace the structural material in buildings in this country. And what is surprising to me is that every single way they seem to test this material, whether they are looking at a green factor or whether they are looking at safety, whether they're looking at flexibility, uh, whether they're looking at cost, everything that they've looked at, it is beating the socks off of steel and reinforced concrete. And the building codes have approved this material for up to 18 stories now. So the door is open to begin building instead of using steel structures to use what they call this mass timber as the core of these buildings now. And they can build other parts of the building out of this material and they can build them in the warehouses so that construction sites aren't delayed by weather. And they put the pieces together and take them to the site and sort of assemble these buildings with, with this material. And uh, it, it, it air conditions more cheaply because steel gets hot inside buildings. Uh, it, it bends more in the, in the, in the weather. It, it, it has just turned out, uh, it's better in hurricanes. It's, you, and, and believe it or not, you cannot set it on fire. That, that thick together timber, you just can't get enough heat there to catch, cause it to catch, catch on fire. And uh, the, the building that you're talking about in the dorm, that that came in. It's I think it's a four-story dorm and two big pieces there, two big wings. Yes. And, uh, that came in ahead of schedule and under budget. And there was also a, a storage facility for your library up there that also came in. But now we don't have any way to make this in the United States. You know, universities are looking at it and now and, and to get the material for that, they had to go to a company in I think it was Austria to get to get this cross-laminated timber. But since then, they've opened a plan outside of Conway that, that now can make this. And, and the Walton family is building a new center, uh, their new headquarters. And they have said they're going to use this material, to this wooden material. It's going to come with trees from Arkansas. Uh, and uh, if, if this, the, the potential that this building material shows, and, and in fact, the, the uh, the architectural school is is working and incorporating design courses on, on using this material. And uh, uh, there's going to be a new wood design center up there that's going to be the Anthony Center for uh, wood design in Fayetteville that we're all excited about. So I think that could be a huge, huge player in upcoming markets when people get more familiar with it and, and learn about it. And it's beginning to happen all over the United States. There are mills that are beginning to, to pop up lots of places. 
So thank you so much for being with me today, Peggy. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C.